Welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. I had alarms set and I would wake up at 4 a.m. to make sure that my whole team was ready for this thing that was happening. And slowly, my whole life just started to revolve around doing well in this game and maintaining these relationships, which made me feel so much less lonely. Hey, it's Lisa. That was my producer, Becca. You'll hear more about her story later in the podcast. Her story is worth hearing because it is connected to all of us. Everyone knows the feeling of looking up from your phone and realizing more time has passed than you thought. Today, we're exploring the struggle of keeping healthy boundaries with the parts of our online lives that are difficult to put down and keep in check. There can be so much shame attached to words like addiction, but the truth is, that the same tools that can enrich our lives and relationships weren't exactly engineered with those end goals in mind. We owe it to ourselves to ask, am I in control? We're going to hear more of Becca's story, and I've got the Council of Moms here to talk about controlling our consumption online and what this looks like in families. You're also going to hear from mental health expert John Sovek about how to replace empty online coping mechanisms with skills that lead to a richer and fuller life. So let me get started with the Council of Moms. I've got Ashlyn and Angie with me here today. And we've identified pretty quickly how, even though everyone's doing it, we tend to feel embarrassed by how much we're on our phones, even for good reasons. Well, last night, (laughs) as I'm avoiding my work and posting my podcast, I kept looking at my phone and going back and forth from like my WhatsApp groups and my Instagram and my Facebook and... It was just a moment of, okay, what am I avoiding and what am I numbing? Because there's nothing new. And if there is something new, who cares? Right. Why am I doing this? And so for me, it's just that check. Because some of it is great. And I do actually really enjoy social media and being connected to people on different apps. But uh, I had to set limits for myself, just like I have for my kids. Because when I'm running a business on those things... You could sit and answer questions and DMs. And oh, all day long. All day long and waste so much of your time. There's plenty of times where I'm like, oh, I haven't actually worked worked today. It's answering DMs, which is work, but not it's a fine business line. building work, you know? Like I'm taking a social media fast because I've actually never done it because I'm a believer in moderation Mm -hmm. and limits rather than cold turkey and cutting things off. Even candy. I'll have candy every day. Yeah. Because I know if I stop eating candy, it's all I'm going to want. That's how I am too. I found that I was good at it until COVID hit. Mm. I mean, I wanted to numb. I was totally grieving. And so it got out of control and I thought I kind of reined it back. But when I stop and consider how much I check it, it's more than I want it to. It's crazy. You know how Apple will show you like how much time you have? I hate it. I feel like it's trying to shame Yeah, it's so embarrassing. (laughs) But it's exciting when it says down though, right? Yeah. 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 (laughs) 
So this is where I want to start. Because like Ashlyn and Angie are saying, and really in all of our recent Council of Moms, no one has expressed feeling like they have it under control. We're all working on it. But there's a certain guilt and discouragement that comes with that. And the truth is that the odds are against us by design. There's a reason we find all these tools and communication channels so addicting. When I talked to mental health expert John Sovek, he explained why. All this social media stuff, it's based on keeping you online. It's based on game theory. It's based on dopamine hits in the brain. All of this stuff is in play. So you, in some ways, are being manipulated psychologically when you get onto those media environments. What John is saying feels familiar. I think most of us know that the social media platforms are out for profit. I mean, we know they want us to engage. But it feels a little more eerie when you start talking about manipulation. Angie talked about this, too. I have a friend who is in tech, and she's so funny. She's like, I really should have, like, an Instagram about what you should know about your kids on social media, but then all the kids in my neighborhood will hate me because the parents will be like, <laughs> Catherine said this. But the but, parents will love you. Yes, I know. I'm like, just do it. Just do it. But she that's something she always says. These developers are so smart, and they're so good at doing things to keep us on the app. I never find it encouraging when the people in tech are way more wary of it than everyone else. But they do know things that we don't. The tools which let us interact online are bigger than us, they're smarter than us, and the more they can suck us in, the more money they make. And if we're vulnerable, they stand to profit even more. All of this while maintaining the illusion that we're the ones in control. I wanna go now to Becca's story, and although she's going to describe her experience with an online game, there are so many similarities in what she experienced to what makes every other social media and online communication channel so addicting. So I was getting out of a really stressful relationship, and it was a pandemic. I was super isolated from everybody, and I was in grad school at the time, and just starting out and already failing everything. It was just, it was, everything was going wrong. I was sick, I was depressed and super anxious. And so it started with this little game that was advertised like it was a little arcade thing, whatever, just looks like a, a pastime. So I got into it and it's like, okay, well, this isn't very interesting. Just like kind of playing with the controls. And then they introduced a group chat. And I realized, oh, there's other people. It got a little more complex. Oh, these people are in groups. And you can kind of advocate for your group. And suddenly, what started as this tiny little arcade game became this diplomatic landscape. And I started talking to people. And sometimes our conversations would just drift away from the game. So I started, I downloaded another app so that I could keep up all of these relationships. And all of a sudden, in this space where I was so isolated and I was in so much emotional pain all the time, I had this second life in this other world that also felt very controlled, like things can't really go wrong. Also, these are strangers. They don't know me. I'm not telling them who I am. I have the option to cut them all off at any time. But in So the not meantime, a real vulnerable friendship, but just a communication. That's exactly it. It's not a real vulnerable friendship. But it's funny how easy it is to be vulnerable with a stranger. Like you talk about certain things, you get this camaraderie because you're playing a game together. You have this shared language, which by the way, you start feeling more distant from the real world. At least I did. Because I realized I can't tell my mom about this. She's not going to get that. But I can talk to these people. They get it because they're experiencing it with me. 
Becca described numbing her anxiety by talking about it to strangers and diving further into the objectives of the game as a way to avoid the rest of her life. And this is something that I talked about with John Sovic as well. We may not all be playing online games, but many of us are doing something similar with social media and for similar reasons. We're self-soothing our stress, fatigue, discomfort, or boredom. Well, you know, it's such an interesting kind of push-me-pull-you, like which came first, the chicken or the egg with yeah. the social media and mental health issues, is because we look at it from two different ways. A lot of times, people who are having mental health challenges turn to social media as almost a form of self-medication, a way to escape the pain, the disrupt that they're in. At the other side of the coin, we are finding that extended, extended amounts of screen time are having a poor effect on people's mental health and well-being. So we've got a mix of the two actually going on here. Hearing John talk about the negative side effects from the self-medication reminded me of how often COVID has come up in the conversations I've had for this series. Not only a moment ago with Angie and Ashlyn or in Becca's story, but a couple episodes ago when Casey talked about how all of our parenting policies got reset during the pandemic because devices were our kids' only windows to school and their friends. And off mic, talking to the Council of Moms, we all remember how interrupted it was and how moving everything online was, or it felt like at least, the only answer. That really changed our relationships to technology. But it was a remedy that came with serious drawbacks. All this time later, it's been difficult to return to previous habits or boundaries, and a lot of us feel like whatever control we had pre-pandemic is still out of reach. Maybe we didn't have a choice before, but now we do. We're stuck. And in the meantime, we know this stuff causes anxiety. That information isn't new. But here we are, and the draw of immediate relief or connection or approval can feel irresistible, even if we technically know that we'll pay for it later. Becca described her experience of losing control this way. How many hours a day are you playing? Oof, I would say up to 22 hours a day. I would wake up sometimes, because this was also, the people are spread out across the world, and this game is voracious. It doesn't care. It's There's no lifestyle considerations in mind. Really? It's just, well, and it's a money machine, too. Nobody also, ever just pauses the game? Mm-mm. No, it, and it's all, like, in real time. It, it's a role-playing game, so there's, there's events, and there's little initiatives, and, yeah, I, I had alarms set, and I would wake up at 4 a.m. to make sure that my whole team was ready for this thing that was happening, and... Like slowly, my whole life just started to revolve around doing well in this game and maintaining these relationships, which made me feel so much less lonely. And in the meantime, as Becca's real life is falling apart because she's spending all her energy online, the game isn't all dopamine hits anymore. There starts to be real stress attached to her life in the game. But it was so interesting that as we were talking about it, she noticed that even in hindsight, it's still difficult to remember the negative parts of that experience. But I was just talking to my mom about this because I said, hey, I'm gonna be talking about this story. You remember this? She was like, oh, I remember when you called me and you were in tears. It's funny because I I literally forgot about this until she mentioned it. You were in tears because of something that had happened in the game. It was this conversation you had with so-and-so that got misconstrued to these other people. And it's interesting because even now when I look back, 
I forget that there were some really negative, there was negative drama that happened in the game. Really? It started as this really controlled environment where nothing could go wrong. And then it started to get just as stressful as real life. <laughs> Things went wrong all the time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listen, if you make friends with a bunch of strangers, there's going to be huge drama because that's right. what happens. Because <laughs> that's life. Because that's <laughs> life. Yeah, listen, if your best friend is whoever's available at 1.30 in a group chat on a role-playing game, like, you know what? It's not going to be the most stable group of people because you're not stable, and that's why you're there. I might <laughs> be true, projecting a little bit. That's Maybe. probably not everyone's experience. No. Also, listen, if if I if I could do this and and not get so sucked in, I mean, I wish I could have the full experience of a game like this that didn't necessarily require sacrificing the rest of my life. Becca's story may be an extreme example of overlooking the downsides of an online platform that gives you a temporary rush. But I keep thinking about how invisible those negative impacts seem to her until someone else pointed it out. Because like John Sovic pointed out, we're all in that boat. And it's impossible to control or use something in an intentional way that you're not fully aware of. Yet so many of these online experiences are built to help you forget what they cost. Becca prioritized acquaintances online over relationships with her friends and family because the people online were always available, even if they didn't know and love her as a whole person. It's interesting because I find that I'm using this word immediacy a lot when I talk about how much I am or am not in control of my social media or online use. And I think this is an important part of asking yourself whether or not you're in control or if the algorithm is controlling you. Immediacy is part of the conversation that I think we often underestimate. We're used to being marketed things we want, but we're not used to being given what we are anticipated to want. It's changed the game. When I was talking to Becca about her experience, and she's describing all the time and energy it takes to play a game, I think, why would someone choose that? It's easy to be judgmental when it's not your flavor of numbing. But when I stop to consider why I spend so much time, say, scrolling through Instagram, I realize I'm not conscious of the amount of time I'm spending doing it in the moment. I don't pause and think how much time I've allotted for it. I just do it. It's no different than time lost in the game. The immediacy, this shining story, interesting photo, funny video, has my attention right now. It's not waiting to be downloaded. There isn't a list of questions to make me pause before I open it. And one immediately feeds into the next. It's always there. I don't need to do anything to be entertained, and it gives me this illusion of connecting with people, like I'm catching up on their lives, or in Becca's case, she's connecting with her friends. But real friends and real friendship takes time, vulnerability, and experience to build on. Immediacy requires none of that. All of us are living in this immediacy-driven world, and of course we're going to look for connection, love, community, and approval in places where it feels like it's immediately available. And in our most vulnerable moments, any of us can fall into the trap of only reaching for the cheap versions of real love and connection just because it's available now, which is why it is so important to zoom out and see what the hidden cost is. John Sovic has some tips for evaluating how your online life fits into your real life. Well, I think it's about looking at the life you lead and looking at how the pieces of your life come together. So what are things we need to do? We need to take care of our spirit, mind, heart, and body every single day. 
So how do we do that? Are you having moments of social interaction face-to-face with people during your daytime? Are you getting physical activity? Are you getting out in the world? Are you getting some sunshine? Are you eating well and taking care of your body? When you look at all of these pieces together, you could have some social media, some online time during your day, and it wouldn't be a problem. It would just be a part of your day. The seriousness comes in when we find that all of a sudden we've been online for like four hours and we forgot to pick up the kids from school, or we're online and we're watching YouTube videos and shoving junk food in our mouths, or we're sitting here watching TikToks over and over and we're not getting out and taking the dog for a walk or taking a hike or going to the gym. That's the thing. It's about finding these balances of our entire life. What John's bringing up here about balance is something we talked about in the Council of Moms too, finding balance, and especially how that doesn't have to be something we do alone. It may take a village to help us and our kids control our consumption online. That may mean some of the mutual accountability that we talked about in previous episodes. And sometimes it might mean reducing the immediacy that we expect from our friends. A question I've always asked with any addiction, is it negatively affecting my life? And if you really just sit in that uncomfortable question, when my kids say, mom, you're on your phone, that's when I'm like, oh, the shame. Mm -hmm. Cut to the core. Yes, because I can call them out because I'm not on my phone right now. But the minute I'm on my phone and they're not, they're like, you're doing the same thing, mom. Mm-hmm. And when your kids call you out, it hits different because it's that look at yourself. If I want them to show up as I do and not as I say, I got to show up. And so when I'm, like you said, we're having a family night watching a movie and I'm on my phone, what is the point? Oh, I hate it. I know. And I, I think, and I well, miss I'm parts just of the show. doing what, and it hurts my kids. Yeah. They're like, mom, get off your phone. This is the, you know exciting part or whatever. Did you see that? And I'm like, yes, I can do two things at once. I'm very smart. I I have business. (laughs) Uh, This this keeps the lights on. (laughs) You guys want to eat? (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's not true. But it feels true in the moment. And and I've tried to really consciously, um, when my kids come in and say, hi, I'm home or whatever, you know, to put my phone physically down, sit on it, (laughs) whatever, so they don't see the phone. Even... Not even just in my hands, but I'm not looking at it. I'm not tempted to look at it. And I'm with you. I'm not, uh, Ashlyn, I'm not like all or nothing. I'm like, I'm going to have some candy every day because this is my life. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I'm going to look at my phone. I'm not going to go. When I try to do extreme things, it never works. I just think I'm suffering. It's so true. I agree. I think giving permission, I'm a big fan of giving permission. So I give permission to my kids. Yeah. Call me out. Help me get better at this. I love that. I love I'm trying that. to show up just like you, and sometimes I get carried away and I don't notice. Mm-hmm. And so when in my better parenting times and seasons, we put our phones away. You know, 7 o'clock, let's yeah. go plug them in, all of us, me included. Yeah. And we just put them up and we have our time hanging out, and maybe we're still numbing in a different way. We're playing games or watching TV, but... We're not distracted by the outside world as much as we're just together. Yeah, that's great. And I'd rather do that. And so the last two weeks have been, why am I not doing that? Yeah. Because it felt better for all of us. And yet I'm allowing them to just have their phones until we go to bed. I'm in a pause right here because I love what Ashlyn is describing, this group mindfulness with her kids. 
And as she points out, whatever they're doing instead of being on their devices may still be a distraction or a diversion. They're being entertained, but it's intentional. They're still in control, and it's working for them and their goals to bond as a family. I also want to pause because Angie's about to share something that I thought was profound. It ties back to this idea of immediacy. But in this case, it's not what we're expecting from our devices. It's what we're expecting from each other. This is interesting because I was talking, we took my son on a trip and his cousin, and they're both 20. And we were talking about how in our day, (laughs) we would have to go on a trip and get out a paper map, you know? Like, how amazing is it that we have Google Maps Mm -hmm. and you can just go from one place to another and see so much more? And so it got us on this topic of cell phones and technology. And we kind of, we we got to this point where we're like, what if, if you could live in the 80s, no cell phones, or now, what would you choose? And they like the idea of no cell phones. And one of the reasons, there are lots of reasons, but one of the reasons was they hate the instant availability. Mm-hmm. If, you know, my son said, if I get a text and I don't respond, I get a, are you okay? Why don't you respond right away? And mm-hmm. you know what? That's something I, it you think really. somebody's mad at you. Yes. And it took me a second to be like, oh my gosh, I need to be better. And I need to allow people to take time to respond. Mm-hmm. Maybe not always answer me right away. Because I think we all can agree. If someone doesn't text you back, you're like, what did I do? Or why do they hate me? Am or, I not important to Yeah. Them? Am I the last person on their list? When maybe they just want a break. Or they just don't have their phone. Yeah. Like right now, yeah. my phone's down yeah. and there's messages, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. And it's stressful, right? We But we need to be better at allowing, mm-hmm. giving others grace I, when yeah. we're trying to get a hold of them and give them whatever time, you know. If That's the only way that society changes. Yes. If we, we have to make it. Let, we, it has to start with us allowing others to be slower in their response. And I, I've tried to do that since he talked to me. But it's hard because you really do assume. And, and when you get a text, I mean, I have texts that I haven't responded to this morning. And I'm like, they probably hate me, which is so silly. I love this, what Angie's saying about giving others grace to respond slowly and the benefit of the doubt, assuming the best of them. It's easy to blame technology for splitting our attention, but thinking about it this way, if I'm pushing for immediate responses and communication from the people in my life, I could be part of the problem. And if I can make any of this better for my loved ones, I want to. I don't have to reinforce the culture of expecting constant availability. If we're all struggling with this, and it really seems like all of us are, then it seems like the least I can do is leave space for the people I love to take breaks and detox from messaging. The last thing we need is peer pressure, making it harder to control our consumption online. John pointed out a few other concrete ways to be more intentional in the way we use this technology. Every single smartphone system has a way where you can go in and you can actually do a digital audit. You can go in to your settings and you can see how much time am I spending online per day, per week. And you can actually look at those numbers and notice, oh, time-wise, I seem to be spending a lot of time on my phone in the evening. Oh, wait a minute. I need to put that down because I'm missing talking to my kids about their day at work. I'm missing checking in with my partner. I'm missing going out and having dinner with friends. Like that information is available to you. And it's not something that's supposed to like punish us or tell right. us we're a bad person. It's a it's a chance to look and say, wow, I think I'm spending too much time in this and I didn't even know. And sometimes it's hard when someone else points that out to you. Uh, when it's your phone, I think it's easier to take it less personally. <laughs> <laughs> is this something that you have personally struggled with or had to adapt over the years? 
It's really fascinating. I have noticed that it, I go in and out with it. Um, sometimes I've had moments where I'll suddenly at the end of the week say like to myself, I have been spending way too much time on social media. What's going on? And I'll do one of those check-ins and I'll maybe notice, oh, there's this thing going on that I need to address. And then I'll take some steps for myself, either you know, do some writing on it, some meditation on it. I might take a walk and just let it kind of blow out of my system. But what I've learned is that when I spend enormous amounts of time online, it's usually related to something else going on for me. I'm really lucky because I have all of these tools in place, and so I can use them to, to really make a decision to do something differently. What John is describing is a very intentional kind of mindfulness. Having regular personal check-ins to build awareness for whatever is depleted that is sending us looking for dopamine or the painful feelings that might be hiding behind a craving for cheap distraction. Whatever's hurting or stressing us out needs our acknowledgement if we want to find real relief. In those moments of pausing, even if we don't think it's going to work, we can break the addictive cycle and make more intentional choices. This is what happened for Becca. It started with an intervention. They say, we're really worried about you. We see how much time you're spending. And, and, and as, as soon as this conversation starts, in my mind, I'm thinking, I know where this is going. Mm -hmm. You're going to ask me to give this up. I can't possibly ever, ever do that. This means so much to me. It's the only source of happiness or joy or thinking ahead that I can even manage right now. You're not wrong. I could see their concerns. Yeah, I'm spending a lot of time. I'm not getting any sleep. I'm slipping in work and in school. And they probably felt really discouraged after that conversation because I was pretty resistant to it. But I did keep thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And... It did actually open my eyes to see these negative effects, which for some reason, I just didn't see them. Part of me, like deep inside, knew that they were right. And so I thought, I can't even fathom giving this up right now. It hurts even to think about that. Because then you're left with what you had when you started the game in the first place, which is being super depressed, isolated, emotionally raw. Right. This is the best thing I've... to go back to that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I did think, like, there is a little bit of anxiety attached to this. I do want to be getting more sleep. And so where it started was I, I looked at everything that I had to do in the game, all of these events, things I didn't want to miss, mm -hmm. and I picked a day. And I said, I'm not going to play the game on Wednesdays. And I'm going to tell everyone that I'm going to be gone on Wednesdays and I'll be back on Thursday. And as soon as the clock strikes midnight on Thursday, I can go back. But I'm just going to set that little boundary. And it was amazing to me that when I did that for the first time, I felt so much relief. And that was something I didn't expect because I was still thinking about the game. I was still thinking about what I was missing. I was like, oh, these people are filling these daily goals. They're going to have these rewards that I'm not going to get. But at the same time, all of that clatter, it started to sink in that I didn't have to listen to it today. And I'll deal with it on Thursday. And I liked it so much that I picked another day and I said, okay, these two days of the week, I'm not going to play the game. And then it actually didn't take very long after that. It was a matter of weeks when I was at the very end of a Tuesday night. I was gearing up for my Wednesday absent day. And I just realized I'm never coming back. I'm never going to do this again. And maybe it was just because... When I was gone, also I realized, oh, the stuff moves on so quickly without me. Like every time I step out of my real life, 
I pay for it so dearly. I come back and everything hurts and everything's worse. And the, the deadlines that I have to meet in my real life are closer and they're faster and I am more checked out. Like that, that comes with such a high cost. But when I step out of the game, there's no consequences because it's just, it's just hungry. And I think, yeah, realizing I can turn this off with no consequences because it doesn't need me. I need it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in my real life, there's people counting on me, people I love, and I'm paying for that. That that clarity sunk in, and I realized I, I don't want this anymore. And I turned it off, and I've never logged in to that game ever again. It was interesting to me hearing this story because of that simple act of implementing breaks provided so much clarity for Becca that it broke the cycle. John goes a little more in depth about how we can implement these kinds of breathers that keep us in control. For me, the beginning of change comes with awareness. And I have a a technique that I use with clients for a lot of different things, but it works really well for this idea of too much screen time and feeling you're being drowning in your social media is when you pick up the phone or turn on the screen or turn on the television, as you're reaching to do that turn on, pause for a moment, take a breath in, take a breath out, and ask yourself this simple question. Is there something else I would rather be doing? Now, the answer can go either way. It could be no, I want to spend some time and just kind of disappear into my social media. But by asking that question, what I find is 80 to 90% of the time, the person will say, you know what, no, I actually want to go and cook that recipe I found. No, I want to go take a walk with my friends. No, I want to go groom the dog. Whatever these other tasks might be, by simply pausing and asking yourself that question, you're stopping this automatic behavior. You're going to be able to start making little incremental changes in your life. And when you get outside and take a walk and the sun's shining, you feel really good after your walk, you're going to come back and be like, huh, I may want to do that again tomorrow. When John talks about this, it reminds me of what Becca shared. Because the first time she was asked if she wanted something else out of her life, the answer was no. But just asking the question opened the door for considering what she might be missing when she wasn't in control of her online consumption. We started this episode talking about the struggle and the embarrassment or shame that comes with it. So many of us carry guilt for how often or how much we're online. But as I've talked to so many other moms about this, I've heard intense regret that a lot of parents feel who gave their kids technology before knowing the risks that came with it. I'm talking about parents who, like me, maybe don't feel like they set their kids up to succeed when smartphones were first coming out. And when we had no idea that they would come with all of the anxiety and hyper-connection and everything else, Becca was with me for a lot of these conversations. And as a poster child for that guinea pig generation of teenagers who got phones in 2009, she had an interesting perspective on it. I want my mom to hear this, right? Because I know my mom. My mom, she feels responsible for the fact that I'm addicted to this. And I look back and I'm like, oh, I, I was born this way. This is not my mom's fault. I would have found it whether she gave me the phone or not. What I'm so grateful for is that while I was in high school, my parents had the uh, perseverance and the honesty to say, we're worried about you. This is, look at what it's costing you. Because those are the things that always get me out. And I don't think there's going to come a point in my life where 
I just don't care about all these amazing, brightly colored, colorful things. Like, I think it's always going to have that draw for me. But I've gotten so much better at identifying those things sooner and adapting. And if someone else notices it before I notice, then I'm in deep. And I have to respond to that. And it's taken me years to gain that knowledge. But I'm glad that started while I was in my parents' house. And because it's really taught me in the end, like, oh, these are tools, these are resources. These people I love are going to help me get out of this when I get in and I can adapt and I can, whatever it takes, uninstall the game, use some timers or mm -hmm. it's, it's a moving target. It evolves faster than I can, but I can evolve faster than I ever could. That gives me a lot of hope. This story gives me a lot of hope too. And it reminds me that wherever we are in relation to controlling our consumption on social media or managing our screen time or evaluating whether our own kids are ready to self-regulate when it's so hard for us to self-regulate, there are no easy answers here. But we don't have to entertain the shame or embarrassment that comes with the struggle. We can create a culture in our homes where it's okay for both kids and adults to ask each other to give their full attention, like Ashlyn described. We can opt out of texting immediacy culture with our friends by slowing down and not expecting fast responses, like Angie suggested. And as John so wisely advised, in all of these situations, with others and ourselves, we can take more pauses to check in and find out what our souls are really craving. We all deserve that grace. At the end of this episode, I want to give a big special thanks to my producer, Becca, who so willingly and honestly shared her experience with not being in control of her online presence. Her vulnerability and story will hopefully open up the opportunity for more conversations and healthy discussions in families and relationships. The Lisa Show is brought to you by BYU Radio. It's hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and produced by myself, Becca Hurley, and McKay Menden, with special help from Avery Stoneley and music and post production by Brandon Lewis and Miranda Tan. We hope you'll share this episode with a friend and join us on Facebook and Instagram for more conversations, goofy videos, and behind the scenes with Lisa.